everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. Uh, my co-host today is uh, something of a polymath. Uh, she is a filmmaker. She is a writer-director. You could have possibly seen her film Slash Back making its way around festivals. Uh, if you've heard of the company Mixtape VR, she is the founder and I believe the CEO of that. She is also the creator of the comic Snow Guard. Um, Nyla Inukshuk, what else do the people need to know about you before we get started? That's quite the... That's quite the resume selection we have from you. Oh, gosh, thank you. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that pretty much sums up my nerdiness in a, in a neat way. <laughs> <laughs> in a good way to start, for sure. Well, Slashback. Tell me about your co-writer on Slashback and how you guys came to collaborate on this story about a your, your film. It's a, about a group of teen girls uh, living in a northern Alaska town they refer to lovingly and not so lovingly sometimes as Peng. And Peng is infiltrated at a certain point by extraterrestrials. And this becomes, this becomes a like girls versus the world adventure movie kicking ass. This is like, this is like bad taste up in the wilds of Alaska. And at, a, at like a halfway point when there was like a zombified guy chasing a little girl, I was like, this is like Peter Jackson chasing himself in bad taste. And I was really, really, I was charmed by the whole thing, but that me was like, ah, look at that. You just get up there and you make your fucking movie and you bootstrap it. Um, I'm not saying you thought about that, but I thought about that. But tell me a bit how, how this came to be, how you found this collaborator and told this story. Yeah, and it really was this kind of like bootstrapping effort to the end. It's It's been this crazy ride. And and Ryan Cavan, my co-writer, and I, we still are working together on, and we've got a bunch of projects that we're, you know, we're always thinking about and talking about. And so it's been, you know, this kind of crazy journey with it, with this project. And um, so I had this, but but it's the, also the project that brought us together, which is so great. Mm -hmm. Um the for me, I have this idea of teenage girls up in this one of these remote communities in the Arctic taking on an alien invasion. That was just this kind of idea that had been just percolating in my head for a long time. <laughs> really, it's, yes. I, I don't even know exactly when it kind of started, but I knew that it was just like a fun idea. I myself am from one of these tiny remote communities that are accessible only by plane and uh, that are that are really small. Pang is this is ha, has a population of about fifteen hundred people. It's stunningly beautiful, especially in the summertime, which is which is when we got to to make the movie. And so when um, because this was the first thing I directed ever. It was, and I knew that I would be having in order to make it, I would have to be getting these great Inuk girls who could make the movie with me. Um, and that to kind of, that would be a bit of a hard sell <laughs> to kind of get this project off the ground without you know these uh, stars that we could attach or was the was the the de was the desire or like kind of the mandate always like it's going to be local talent like these are the kind of actors that I need for this and I don't like I don't know where that casting that's going to take me it's got to be people from this area. Well, I just knew it had to be. Inuit, I'm Inuk, yeah. and and this place, the, the movie takes place in a in a community where my sister in law is from, and she didn't learn how to speak English until she was like 14. So it was 
it, it, for the movie to make sense in one of these places that it had to have an Inuit cast. And most Inuit live in Nunavut. And so out of convenience, really, because my parents lived in Halavit, which is the capital city of, of Nunavut, and in itself is like, I think, 8,000 people or something. It's not this big. <laughs> yeah. And because my parents lived there, I, and when I was developing the project, had really no money and was get at, at, trying to find some funds to make this short proof of concept for the movie, I was just casting out uh, really just where my parents lived. And I found I found these young people in Akhaluit that at first were just interested in coming to these acting workshops that I held mm-hmm. alongside this local theater actor, Christine Tutu. And so we had these workshops and I had these pages from this short script that I had written. Um, and that's kind of how we found a lot of the girls and a lot of the girls that still are, you know, working with me on this project. And so it's been so great to see them kind of grow up with it. And then, and, uh, and then at one point, you know, we all had, at when, um, uh, it does feel kind of special that we, that it started with this, like really just this belief in this, that we could make this kind of bonkers, um, when you had nothing else, all you had was your belief. You had your belief in your idea, and that is what got you here. Yeah, and it was kind of like and now that I've made a movie, I'm like, oh, that like that's what it is. It's like it's so insane to me that that this was the one that we chose to make. But it was, I mean, it was also an opportunity to learn every single lesson the hard way. And, and it feels like it feels like an ideal first movie in that way because like it's one of those movies where like. <laughs> They tell you, like I like speaking with some folks who made everything everywhere all at once, like Kihui Kwan was saying, like, the Daniels made the exact movie that they tell you never to make. Like, this is everything about this movie is don't do this. Yeah. And then this movie, it's like, listen, I've never done this before. We should do this. When probably maybe if you had like a three more things under your belt, it would be like hmm, I'm a little inhibited by my logistical awareness of all the challenges that this was going to be. But first film, you're like, yeah, we'll figure this out. And you got to we'll, learn we'll this somehow, out. you know. Yep. And and even with the, the cast, and I think it's so sweet, we were just traveling uh, with the movie to, to Spain, to the Sitges Film Festival there, which was so great. And I have heard such wonderful things about Sitges. What an amazing experience for, like, a group of teen girls to get to go to Sitges to do this together. To get to go to, to Europe, but then also the audiences there are just, like, love horror. And so mm. it's like anytime there was blood or a death, they're just like, ah! <laughs> and so the girls just loved it. Yeah, it was so much fun. And um, and I think that, you know, just because we're, you, you're kind of separated from, the, you know that the movie's out there and, and people are mm-hmm. watching it, but it, you're just kind of trusting that that's happening. So to kind mm-hmm. of put, be connected and see see audiences responding is kind of great. Um, but it was, it, uh, so then we, when, when we started getting su- support to get this project going, I, I knew that I really wanted to find a, a co-writer that was really strong at, at mm-hmm. understanding structure and story. And Ryan hadn't had, I don't think he'd had a feature movie made before, but he, mm. I, I read some of his scripts and loved them. They were weird and awesome and cool and scary. And so um, we met and got along. Um, somehow, we still don't really know why we get along. Um, <laughs> Creative partnerships, man. It's not ours to wonder yeah, why. And, and so we spent some time up in Nunavut with the girls. We went out boating. We went to cabins um, and and would just like have these therapy sessions at night and then right in the morning. It was, um, for me, like this script and also other 
other projects that we're working on and scripts that we've we've written. It's just this, like, it is such a therapeutic process mm-hmm. um, to kind of, you know, and especially to kind of go back and sit and think about myself as a teenager and and how you kind of start to build this identity. Um, and for me, it's it was kind of fun because for me, a big part of my identity as a teenager was mm-hmm. movies and scary yeah. movies. Um, and my love same. Of so relatable. We're the same. We're the same. And so just to be able to kind of then also see these girls at the same age and who are just figuring out who they are and and where their indigeneity fits into that. Um, and then just seeing them kind of grow up. And now they're, you know, the uh, knowledge also plays. Uki is 14 and the rest are 17 um, and kind of just finishing up high school and thinking about the next things. Um, so it's so great. Well, that is, I, I, I'm glad you gave me that sweep because I, I like how this segues into the character and the movie that we're going to discuss in addition to your own work, which is, I, I love it when I get the, the answer and it makes me like lean back to my chair a little bit. I'm like, all right, where are we going to go with this? Yeah. And it it's is not an obvious, I realized this, I was talking to a couple, I love it. a couple of friends of mine yesterday and I was mentioning at lunch, I was like, oh yeah, so this podcast, it seems kind of cool. I've got to think of this idea of a, of a character that makes you feel seen and they're asking my, me my choice and I just said it to them and they were just like, everyone burst out <laughs> laughing, including myself. <laughs> like, what, what have I done? But when I kind of explained myself a little, they're like, okay, we get it. Keep thy covenant, young darling, and if God smiles on thee, then hurry thee back. Thy seat beside us waits. Are you really going to go? Should I? I like your head better where it is. I gave my word. I made a covenant. This is how silly men perish. Or how brave men become great. Why greatness? Why is goodness not enough? Okay, so Dev Patel's Gawain from The Green Knight, was this the, I I talked to the guest about this recently, was this the, like, I really thought about it choice, or was this the gut choice that you went with? Um, I I was thinking about it. I thought it was a really fun kind of thing to think about, and, um, but then I kind of was like, oh, yeah, you still kind of think of that idea, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and no, I, gotta, I, gotta I, I was that. like, you know, there were some choices where I was like, oh, yeah, it kind of seems like that would make more sense or something. But then I was also just, you know, when I think about movies and, and the impact that they can have, there mm-hmm. are some movies that just make you like feel something, you know, mm-hmm. and just that that impact you and realize that they just are touching on something that that really connects with you. Um, and I find that with David Lowry's movies, there's mm-hmm. always this moment where it's this like gut punch to me. And mm-hmm. I think that maybe some of the things that we may have kind of are wrestling with or just spend time thinking about. Um, and I think the interesting thing about making movies and writing movies is that you do spend a lot of time just like thinking about ideas and processing mm-hmm. ideas. And so when watching his movies, I'm kind of like, oh, I think that we've spent a bit of time thinking about some of the same stuff. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it's, you know, with with Gawain and, and with with Lowry's work with you see in like um, a ghost story and then in the Green Knight and then in this too, I think a through line of the two of those is there's a melancholy about those films. And I, I've read you, you discuss like you grew up loving like adventure movies. You have, I've read you mentioned like E.T. and Indiana Jones and the and like sort of kid adventure movies, too. And I wondered what it was about the sort of like down downward pitch of that tone in a Lowry movie taking those sort of fantastical aspects aspects too that really like super spoke to you. Yeah, I also just love fantasy and grew up with mm-hmm. like uh loving fantasy fiction and 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 just this idea of of magic existing mm-hmm. in this like other other layer. Um and I loved King Arthur stories and mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Um and and witch witches and witchcraft. <laughs> I hope you saw The Northman earlier this year because I think that movie did those things so extremely great. well t- yeah. too. It was like the beatdown version of The Green Knight. Oh my gosh, it's also so much trauma. Um, yeah. But, you know, I do think about how uh, now it's kind of as I'm continuing to, to work and try and get better as a director, I'm always thinking, okay, like how can we make people feel something with what the tools that we've got, which is basically mm-hmm. what you can see and what you can hear. And both mm-hmm. those movies are such great, exa- and directors are such great examples of being able to do that so well and just like really kind of making you feel something. And even if it's violence and fear, and I think that sometimes it's, a, you know, those kind of processing those kinds of things are, are really interesting. And with this movie and with a ghost story also just... I, a ghost story I had to actually watch in, in batches. I like watched the first 20 minutes and being like, oh, this is amazing. And then I just was like, oh, I'm going to mm-hmm. be doing this. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I've got to be like more emotionally prepared, like get my tea, do my, like have my laundry already done, like get the any anxieties out the window because I got to be in a safe space for this. Because uh, for for me, and actually even just the process of making Slashback, which was just this kind of crazy process, and mm-hmm. um, and and making movies is so challenging and hard. I actually started the process of of pitching this movie as a writer and producer only. So I was mm. going to be actually trying to find someone else to be directing this movie that I just really believed in and this story that I loved in this place that I loved, and I was. You know, at one point there was another director who was um, a really nice Haluna uh, white guy. That, that mm. means white person. Um, mm. and, Thank you. Great knowledge. <laughs> and he was, uh, but he'd also never directed a movie before. So, like, it was kind those of people this- get these jobs all the time. They give those guys rings of power. And it was this kind of crazy thing where um, I was just getting ready to pitch the movie. And uh, as the writer and producer, and um, I got, I found out from my doctors that, well, I knew I was really sick for a long time, but I found Mm. out from my doctors that I was very, very sick. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, It was really hard, but it's also just kind of something I'm so grateful for. Um, and, but I found out like the, the, the month I was going to pitch that I had uh, a 50, 50 chance of surviving the month and that I, dude, I was really, really sick. And it's the kind of, the kind of news that makes you, and, and for me, I kind of always put a lot of pressure on myself and was ambitious and had all Mm. of these kinds of, and, and I worked in 
um, VR and technology and this idea that you can be like, oh, you can be the first to do this thing. And Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden with this news, I was like, oh, wait, you're telling me like all of that doesn't matter. It's like it was this. um, And I know that not everyone can take like traumatic news like that this way but it was this we all cope how we need to cope (laughs) and you you were like i'm gonna cope by making this movie (laughs) well it was just like kind of this overwhelming sense of joy that like oh nothing all of these things that i thought Mm. were really important doesn't really matter but then Mm. also i was like pissed off i was pissed off that i (laughs) that i hadn't made a movie yet which sounds Mm -hmm. kind of crazy Um, and and that also I'm here pitching this movie and it's like but this is my like if I'm gonna do this like what am I doing like I I, and so um then you know I thank goodness I was able to I I got a liver transplant I was able to get better congratulations oh my god I'm so happy you're here thank you and but it was really this kind of like this adrenaline from that. Four months later, we shot this little proof of concept that I was talking about and doing this casting. Um, and Whoa. and then we kind of, it was just like this, this race to kind of do this thing. And I was kind of getting better and recovering as I'm kind of doing this crazy kind of thing. And then to watch, then just like sit down and watch one of one of David Lowry's movies and, go, and to, to just have these characters who are having to kind of process death. Yeah. And for both of them, I mean, and, and uh, I think with the, with the Green Knight also just like that, that, that initial line of the of King Arthur asking him, like, tell me a story about yourself that yeah. that tells me who you are. And that was uh, like the first of, of a couple moments in that movie where I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so, before we make merry, you make for me a gift. You tell me a tale of yourself so that I might know thee. to tell yet. Because it was that feeling almost that when when I was really sick, like I was like, oh, but I don't have any stories yet. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't have any, I, I, and I had spent a lot of my time like as a supporting other people making their stuff. And, uh-huh. and it was like actually the crazy, the scariest thing was actually saying, oh, I want to do that thing that, you know, I like how you're like, the scariest thing was saying, I want to do that. And you were given a 50-50 chance at living. <laughs> and like, but the scariest thing was being like, I'm going to tell my story. Yeah. Because <laughs> here it is. <laughs> and But it's but it does, like, after when, when you survive something like that, that is really, really challenging and pushes you in different ways. The... Um, when, when, you, when it's like, oh, I've got to make a movie. Yeah, this is going to be really, yeah. really hard. But I, I've done, I do hard stuff. <laughs> I do hard stuff. I'm dope and I do dope shit. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of, an, and a reframing for me that I had to be, just be focusing on things that I was really passionate about. Like if I'm going to be, because I loved work, I love making movies, I love all this stuff, but it's like, if I'm going to be doing this stuff, it has to be something that I'm like 
really into and that I can be believing in and I should and I need to be focusing a bit on on some of my own things mm-hmm. um and so that and so really within that switch I mean and um I I think like even when I was younger maybe kind of feeling guilty about not like making more important movies or, or <laughs> you know. Never, never feel that. But I think, you know, I love that it, it, this movie got to kind of, uh, in the process, kind of be lean, looking and um, reflecting on these movies that I grew up loving and mm. that it was just this, like, you know, just this amazing process just for, for both myself and then these teenage cast. And, um, and it, we were kind of all growing up the, the whole time. Surely there is one amongst us here who will meet this knight on his terms. I will do it. I will meet him. I will meet thee. You understand this challenge? I do. I think I do. Remember it is only a game. I feel like, I mean, I feel like you got a, a quest. Like you got, <laughs> you, you got a quest. Yeah, and yeah. Like, I was like, you know, I'm like l- looking at my, my questions and your movie and The Green Knight and like looking for the metaphors and like you literally just like you got your quest papers handed to you and like so did Gawain and Gawain was like, I'm going on my quest. Yeah. And th- I mean, you, you were, you were, you were the knight wandering through the countryside being like, I'll figure it out, I guess. I've never been outside those walls, really, but, like, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah, and then, you know, I think that it is, to, to start living, you have to go and do some tough stuff, um, and that you won't always look like a hero in it. Um, <laughs> and and that also, you know, that that facing death and the inevitability of death isn't so crazy. And and the fear of death that, and, and like, the, the concern about that and, like, it's, it could actually keep you from living. You must seek him out. And if death awaits me. Oh, I do not know of any man who has not marched up to great death before his time. Why hold me to this light? Is it wrong to want greatness for you? I fear I'm not meant for greatness. You know what I think? You know what I think you would have done that Gawain didn't? Because Gawain was, like, he, I think you would have ridden on the shoulder of a giant. I think if you were in the story of the Green Knight and you had those giants walking by you, when I watched this movie, I was like, oh my God, a giant's going to pick him up and he's going to be going with a giant. And he didn't. And I was like, how did you not ride the giant? And I feel like you would have said yes to that bold decision. (laughs) I'm giving you that credit right now, riding the giant. That's so sweet. Thank you. (laughs) The the, the least I could say. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with Nyla Inukshuk in a minute. Then I'll have one quick thing before I go about a very talented filmmaker 
who recently passed away far too soon, Jeff Barnaby. Uh, we're going to give a shout out uh, to Jeff Barnaby. So stick around. I'm Jesse Thorne. On the next Bullseye, our annual Halloween Spectacular. We'll interview Anna Fabrega from Los Spookies, Monet Exchange from Drag Race, and the great R.L. Stein, creator of Goosebumps. You know, I don't really get too deep into the real fears. It's a lot safer to do a dummy coming to life. That's on the next Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hi, I'm Jesse Thorne, the founder of Maximum Fun, and I have a special announcement. I'm no longer embarrassed by my brother, my brother, and me. You know, for years, each new episode of this supposed advice show was a fresh insult, a depraved jumble of erection jokes, ghost humor, and frankly, this is for the best, very little actionable advice. But now, as they enter their twilight years, I'm as surprised as anyone to admit that it's gotten kind of good. Justin, Travis, and Griffin's witticisms are more refined, like a humor column in a fancy magazine. And they hardly ever say Bazinga anymore. So, after you've completely finished listening to every single one of all of our other shows, why not join the McElroy Brothers every week for My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. My co-host today is Nyla Inukshuk. Her debut feature, Slash Back, stars real teenage girls from the Canadian Arctic gearing up and fighting alien invaders. The character she brought with her is Gawain from The Green Knight, as played by Dev Patel in David Lowry's melancholy quest film. So let's get back into it. What I was really having fun thinking about in the context of watching Slashback, I, I love this little cast so much. I, I might go with her little backwards hat on. I wanted to just like sweep them all up and like take them to a concert and buy them dinner. And um, these teens. And um, it was watching um, how this little group of girls is sort of exists in tension with the the tradition of their culture and their heritage and sitting at this sort of intersection of the modernity that they inhabit. And one of the girls being, I, I love it. She was like, I love our town. It's awesome here. And she was kind of excited about it, sort of invested in, in lore of, of her people. Whereas it's like you and your baby stories, like you're super annoying. And with the emphasis in Green Knight on like, tell me a story that lets me know who you are. And these girls who come from a, such an incredible tradition of story. And then you coming into this being like, I, I don't have stories to tell. I'm going to, and I've had this one living with me in my head for so long in my life. I wanted to hear about the role of story in your life sort of growing up and then how that, you know, clearly led you to the path of telling your own on screen and like sort of figuring out, figuring it out in the hardest way possible. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I think that stories are so important and, and, um, for me, I loved horror movies and, and my my mom also loved horror movies. And so she kind of introduced me to Hitchcock when I was really young. Mm. And and I grew up at a time when great horror movies were being made um, and some really bad 
movies that I loved a lot were being made. <laughs> and hey, I that's a whole lifestyle for me. You don't have to sell me on that. <laughs> and yeah, it was really great working with the with the teenage cast actually and and hearing uh because for me also growing up I was I was trying to figure out where my indigeneity fit in. I'm mixed race. I I um am Inuk on my father's side. My mother is settler Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um and so it was this kind of um, trying to figure out how that worked and, and processing shame I might have in my indigeneity. And then working with these teenage girls and then seeing the ways in which um, shame might come through in the language or the way they kind of spoke about themselves. Mm. Um, and we'd have lots of conversations about it. We would talk about um, if, they, if they said, oh, that's so inok. And they would mean it in this negative way. I'm saying, what do you mean by that? And then they, they're like, you know, we kind of talk it through. It feels like it could almost be like like inner child therapy. Like you're, it's like oh I'm looking, yeah. here I am an adult looking at like my young avatars being like, we're the same, we're different. You know, it's really helpful. And even to the point where it's like, oh, we've got to go and do like um, get our photos taken before this screening or something. It's something I would never, ever want to do or be, it'd be terrified of. But it's like, <laughs> oh, I've got to go and do it to show the girls that it's not so crazy. And yeah. it's like, they're helping me out. And But then also it's, and, and I'm like telling them like, people will ask about like being role models and stuff. I'm like, you guys don't have to be role models. Don't worry about it. Like you can be mess ups and, and still be great. And, you know. Yes. And, and then I'm like also being like, oh yeah, it's like good for myself too. Like, you know? <laughs> like, that was a good point. I'm a role model like, that one. I'm, I'm going to live that. <laughs> and so, I mean, I don't have kids. I don't plan on having kids, but I feel like a bit of that, like, you know, learning it, it, it through each other has been kind of great. Um, and, and definitely we would talk about, like, if um, the shame in our language and that, you know, that we want to be removing it because mm. we, even if we're all at different stages of getting to that journey of, of, of being proud Indigenous women, that is a goal for ourselves. So we mm-hmm. have to be making sure that we're using proud, prideful language when we're talking about where we come from and our inokness, because that's, that is how we feel and that's how we want to feel. And, um, and so that was kind of an interesting, interesting conversations for us to have. And then an interesting journey for, for Micah, the character to go through, to kind of feel like she, that this place she's from is is worthy of defending and that she and her friends are also kind of uniquely capable of, of taking this on. Um, but I also think it's interesting, like in the context of The Green Knight, that there's different, mm-hmm. um, like with the character of Lena, who just decides kind of she's rather stay back and not fight and take care of the kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that the reality is there are some people that are kind of more the alien fighting type Um, (laughs) and there are also some who are fine staying at home and that's fine too. And they'd rather (laughs) take care of the kids and and that sort of thing. And that that's also important. Mm -hmm. As we're sharing the movie, um, it just like makes me a puddle when they talk about how proud they are of, of being able to share with audiences where they come from and, Mm -hmm. and share their culture. And, um, when we were at South by Southwest in, Texas, uh, Chelsea had made her own beaded jewelry and was asking. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, and she asked to speak to, the, if she could introduce the movie and speak to the audience in Inuktitut, which of course nobody understands, but it's just so amazing to be able to share this, this, 
these words and this language that they might have been really kind of ashamed of before. She can come on and do this whole podcast. <laughs> and I won't, I'll just keep asking questions and she can answer them however she wants. I'll be like, great, this just, this episode's just not for me and that's totally fine. Yeah, it's so great. And it's, and so to see these, these young people kind of grow up with the movie as well has just been, has been so fantastic. And I, when it comes to kids and I, I worry a lot lot about, you know, the pressures of, uh, of kids on set and not wanting yeah. to, um, I, I strongly believe that kids shouldn't feel like they're working or yeah. <laughs> be having to like think about work um, because they're kids. But, you know, it was so fun for us to work together and we still mm-hmm. love hanging out together. And, and that's something that is so, so great. Um, but it, it's so it's it's also so funny because the girls w- were saying to me last week like oh we wish you could just make the movie again because we'd be so much better this time. <laughs> <laughs> You're like that's the thing about making movies though, guys. We make new ones. Yeah, you just can get better, take the lessons you've learned, and and like be grateful for for the for the experience. And and <laughs> I think that that's also the other thing is you know not being too precious about things like mm-hmm. that. Uh, and and actually, in the context of the, the uh, of the Green Knight and everything, mm-hmm. it's like these kind of pressures that we feel a lot of the times are actually just external, um, right? And it's actually more about the journey than the celebrating the the the, the, the telling of the stories, um, right? That no, that was um that was something I I had to like calibrate to when I was watching the Green Knight was. We like the way it was advertised too. Certainly was like it, you know, this epic hero's journey, and like the 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 teaser was like a head bursting into flames, and like that is certainly a thing we do see in the Green Knight, but it is not descriptive of the tone or the speed of the Green Knight. And I I I like what you said about there not being like one definition of heroism and like Lena when she's telling like they're like all right we're gonna go kill aliens now like come on Lena and she's like no and you're like expecting her to kind of turn it around and find that inner fire and she's like I I don't do cool stuff like you guys do I I never will and like I wish I did but I don't and I I am gonna sit here on my phone and but like the but like the little little kids did need looking after and they did need someone there with them and it's nice getting to see you know each of them get to do like and and you know one of your girls in the movie she's like a warrior she's out there she wants to tell the news she wants to tell everyone that she killed the most aliens and like so it was like watching the green knight was really a sort of instruction and patience for me of being like oh it doesn't have to be the Northman's version of tramping through the landscape and literally stabbing people through open holes in their face. Like, it can be a contemplative, different experience with a ex- very flawed character who's trying to find out, who's, like, trying to sort through the entire time. He's like, am I just a piece of shit? Or, like, do I have something to offer here? Yeah, and that's actually, like, another big thing about what I related to is, mm-hmm. like, just really that process. And I think, like, where I kind of feel where for myself and where I've landed that feels kind of comfortable is um, that, yeah, I'm a bit of a garbage human piece of shit. But I've got <laughs> these, like, redeeming qualities. <laughs> and it's okay. <laughs> you know? And that we're all kind of flawed. And this idea that, like, striving for perfection is is crazy-making. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh... I like that your knight's tale is, like, 
am I this guy who's just gonna wake up in the brothel and like go to court and sit next to my cool uncle King Arthur like you're like is that my is that my noble knight I'm not Galahad where have you been mass you at mass yeah all night yes well where are your boots what where are you yeah, and but I also think that that's also another thing about like you know, uh, I being being an indigenous filmmaker. Mm. There, there is this a bit of an added pressure of um, of I, I know that the one of the reasons why people are responding to this movie is that they just haven't seen a movie that's been. Um, a, a, a movie that's like an alien invasion movie that's been set up in the Arctic. That's <laughs> yeah. and, and they haven't seen them uh, like a contemporary movie by an Inuk director. So there is mm-hmm. there is this um, kind of um, a, a, well, it's great that for those reasons it's getting this support and people are really responding to it. And mm-hmm. but then at the same time, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, but I'm just like kind of a mediocre person just trying to do my best and. and <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, and that, and so for me, um, kind of being okay with that is, is kind of, it, it has been a bit of a process and, and that it's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, this is part of, part of the journey is also having these moments of fe- sitting in a bit of embarrassment and being like, mm. oh, okay. That wasn't exactly what, how, how I thought that would turn out, mm-hmm. but there's still some some cool stuff that's there, and there's <laughs> there's and even there's some growth that's happening in in the moments of discomfort. Um, and actually, I think that's true that that the, the that is how you grow is you kind mm-hmm. of throw yourself into situations where you're not quite prepared, or even just I, I think of traveling alone um, mm-hmm. and and you know it's like you kind of are are growing and uh, through these these moments of tension. And, and that's what I actually love kind of explain. And me and my co-writer, we sit and we talk about these kinds of things all the time because mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is essentially what, what is at the root of horror in trying to figure out is these moments of tension and, and processing fear and violence and stuff. And I think violence can, can be a lot of things. Like a breakup can be violent, mm-hmm. emotionally violent and mm-hmm. cause that kind of time of growth. And but there's, uh, but there's physical violence, of course, even just, and we all, we all are witness to it all the time. Mm-hmm. Like there's times where I'm just feeling a little more vulnerable and I'll see someone, um, I saw someone just get injured on a bike, just like their cheek got injured on a bike, but I saw yeah. the blood on the, the, the sidewalk and it like made me feel unsettled all day. Like I was just like, <laughs> Like, oh, we're all so fragile and like, <laughs> yeah. you know? And I think because of where I was at the, at the time emotionally, that that's where it, that just how I was responding. But um, then going and, and then sitting and thinking about these, ty- these um, violence or fear and then how we kind of process it. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully in a healthy way and not in a, in a way that will drive me crazy. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, it's it little points you feel the sort of glancing blows of the violence that that these kids experience sort of on a day-to-day basis from like that shitty cop 
my specific question here will be to ask you about the arming up montage that you do because I've always wanted I, any any I don't care if it's a rom com I want an arming up montage with your makeup and with with your lipstick and your boy brow and everything give me an arming up montage but like when they're are, they're arming up they're suiting up to go to go fight the aliens like Micah puts on the like no justice on stolen lands leather jacket and she's gonna go out there and she's gonna kick the ass of the invaders who have arrived at her land. And so these, and immediately like this, it's an, it's an action, action horror kind of situation, but immediately one of Jesse, one of the little girls is like, you don't fuck with women from Pang. And like, these girls are already prepared. They're prepared to fucking defend themselves. And they literally put on like painted adornments on their faces to like go to war. These kids are ready to do battle as children. And I believed them. I believed them. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, that, that was really fun to, to film with the girls. And I, they are such a, a spunky bunch. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it is, it is really funny because, like, they, they are hunters, some of them. Like, Alexis, when we went to South by Southwest, she had these crazy stripes on her face from frostbite because she'd gone polar bear tracking the okay. day, like the week before or something. And when we were going to be doing press uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, Chelsea asked to like switch, switch days because she was going caribou hunting. And so they like it would, that kind of stuff was really, really fun. Um, mm-hmm. uh, sec, uh, Section 35 is the, is the company, the clothing company indigenous owned that designed the, the jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, a lot of indigenous designers kind of contributed. Carly Gallant was the beater of the hat. So that was just kind of a, a fun kind of thing. And then the tattooing of course was really special. That's something that um, within uh, Canada's history with indigenous people, there was um, what's known as the residential school system and and indigenous people were taken from their families and put in schools that Ooh. where they were essentially taught um, that it, or punished for speaking their language and practicing mm-hmm. their culture and um, a lot of these things were rebranded as devil worship, essentially. And so that's, hmm. you know, my my father's generation, my aunties and and these the, my cast, it would be their their grandparents generation. Um, and so this kind of recently, this reclamation of, of Inuit tattoos has happened. And so when we asked the girls what their traditional tattoos would be for, for this scene, they mm-hmm. all had idea. They already knew, like they'd all thought about, oh, if I, when I'm older, if I get the tattoos, this is the, these are the ones that I would get. So the, they were all designs personal to the girls that they had already thought about, which I thought wow. was so great that they already had these ideas. And, and this is something that is really kind of popular up in, up in the Arctic is these face tattoos. And it's kind mm-hmm. of this obvious and, and visible representation of, of pride in, in your inokness. And so I thought that was a little fun, fun thing for the scene. I, that's really, that's really beautiful. It's like, cause I, I, I was like, there's a significance here clearly, but for it to be for it to be specifically aligned with each of them and things that they had thought about. What a wonderful, like, intimate detail that they get to bring that nobody else could. Like, each of the things that they chose in that moment had to belong to them. It couldn't belong to anybody else. And that's really, really nice. Um, I don't normally end on, like, kind of random questions, but I just wanted to hear you talk about the excellent soundtrack in this movie. This is fucking bangers. I was like, I'm 
streaming this. I I, I, yeah, I assumed you were involved way, in it. Yeah, we've got to figure out a way to stream, get this music streamable. So um, Nobody fucks with the girls from Pang. Yeah, so some of my good friends are in an electronic DJ group called Hallucination, formerly a tribe called Red. And they do these incredible um, kind of electronic da- dance music, but built on powwow beats and and they kind of came on but before the script was written and they were like yeah oh, we'd cool. love to we'd work together before and we're friends and and so they kind of they, and bear who's one of the lead djs is though they're both nerds but bear in particular is such a nerd and <laughs> like he has like two of every action figure because he has to one to play with boxed one and play with one yeah Yeah. truly true so it's um so he was like into the idea of making music for this and i was just blown over by the idea of them making music for it so that was awesome and then we also had um we also had this amazing composer in la michael brooks who's actually canadian as well he just lives down there um and he's so amazing his music's so beautiful and so he would take uh music that the the tribe guys would make and then um, adapt that, make his own his own stems, and send it back. And so mm-hmm. it was such a, a a great collaboration. And then Tanya Tagak, this amazing throat singer and musician. I wanted to ask specifically about her because she gets a sp- special credit. At the very it's like vocal per- performance, like done by. She's in like with like the cast and the the name talent as it rolls up in the opening scroll. She's mentioned. She also came on very early, and she provided just so many vocalizations for the creatures wow. and. Um, and so when you hear, uh, whenever there's like a creature that's about to arrive, you hear her, the, the hallucination guys actually took her vocals and then like played them backwards. So wow. that it's like this m- weird kind of just sounds totally inhuman, but it uh-huh. really works for the for the creatures. And so she really loved the idea of being like the queen of the aliens. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this movie—I mean, it—it's—it it sounds phenomenal in those ways, and so I'm really—I—I I, I know we have come to the end of our time, but I'm really glad I got to squeeze that in at the end in there because that is such a standout part of this movie. Um, but Nyla, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today and discuss this. It's it's like, it's a movie that I want to watch. I want to watch it like back to back with Turbo Kid. Yeah. And have like a <laughs> Canadi- Canadian adventure double feature night. And I hope that is how, I hope that is up, how up in Canada you refer to us is that the people who live down there. Like, he's Canadian, <laughs> but he lives down there. So I <laughs> hope that's true. But thank you. And and good luck on on, on rolling this out and, and congratulations on it coming out. You did it. You got this quest in the back. Quest complete. <laughs> Sincerely, thank you. This has been so much fun to talk to you about this, Nyla. I really, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks a lot. Thank you again to Nyla Inukshuk. Uh, as of this past weekend, Slashback is playing in select theaters, and it's available on demand. Pretty much anywhere you might want to look. It's really charming. It's a it's a really fun time. Just the sincerity and newness radiating off these actors she cast out of their own hometown is so endearing. And I hope you check it out. I hope you go on Nyla's quest with her and get down to that rad ass soundtrack she has. My God. And now, though, I have one quick thing before I go. And I would like to acknowledge 
uh, the life and recent death of Canadian native filmmaker Jeff Barnaby. Uh, he was somebody who I really, really hoped I would get an interview on this show. There was uh, sort of an, an opportunity fairly recently where it looked like he he might even be a possibility. And of course, if it couldn't be then, I thought like, well, you know, surely the next time he puts something out, I would love to speak with him again. Uh, I, I got the chance to interview him when I was at Vulture for uh, the release of his movie Blood Quantum about a uh, reservation in Canada that becomes uh, an insulated enclave when there is a zombie outbreak and the native population is immune to the contagion as their reservation is besieged by um, seething and blood-soaked white zombies. It's really good. It features uh, a, a cherished actor, friend of the pod, Michael Greyeyes. Uh, I would listen to the wonderful and thoughtful conversation he had with me, if you get a chance, in our little back catalog. Uh, but Jeff Barnaby was one of the best interviews I've ever had. Uh, he spoke with such clarity and such passion and such conviction about the ferocity necessary to make art as a Native creator when there is so little institutional support. He was uncompromising in how he talked about sort of the tokenization of diversity at an institutional level, where instead of like, you know, fully handing Native people specifically the reins to make their own things, oftentimes it comes down to like hiring consultants instead, therefore giving yourself the pat on the back cosign of having brought a Native creator into the filmmaking or TV making process and then being like, we did our good work for the day, even though a bunch of white folks are still the ones who controlled every aspect of this, but we got our rubber stamp, you know, from the person who we needed to give it to us. Uh, he had, there was such candor and such kindness in the way that he talked. And I was so excited coming out of that interview because it was one of those rare occasions where you felt like somebody said only things to you that were entirely real and that they would have said them whether you were recording or not. And that the important thing to him was to just deliver his movies honestly to the world on his own terms and there have been there have actually been a couple people now where I was I we we maybe even almost interviewed them or we we thought we were going to that have since passed away. And uh, Jeff Barnaby was only 46. And I I am uh, sad in like that tiny way personally, you know, of course, compared to the larger the larger sense of it that I didn't get to speak to him again. I'm sad that uh, there will be no more Jeff Barnaby movies um, for all of us. Uh, and I'm sad there's no more Jeff Barnaby. Because it would have been great to have him out and talking and thinking and making in the world for a lot longer. So I hope in celebration of, of Jeff Barnaby, I recommend this weekend you queue up a Canadian horror double feature. Put on Slashback, put on Blood Quantum, and what you're going to have is just a really good fucking time watching independent films. So yeah. This, this one goes out to Jeff Barnaby, um, a talented man and, and somebody who should have got to make a lot more stuff. So go support independent cinema, as we say, and also support, support the memory of somebody who made some really good stuff while they were here. It's really hard to make any one thing. Um, and he managed to make it happen a couple of times, as I said, with like just absolutely no institutional support. So rhymes for young ghouls, blood quantum. Get out there. Check them out. Uh, but yes. 
That is us. That's the show. You can follow along on Twitter at FeelingScenePod, or you can send us an email at feelingscene at maximumfun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. This show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.